Okay, with Richard Van Cleek, Gurgle Pulling Water is the feature film played at the LA Documentary Film Festival. Of the film about roar, roaring in life, I guess. That's how I described it. I really like this film. Uh, like like metaphor for life's like using your your physical, your emotional, your intellectual being to in this cause of rowing, sometimes in a race or individually. I was into it. I got what you were trying to say. So congratulations on the film, Richard. Well, thanks very much. It's it's nice to uh, hear you say that. I know it won in the uh, best sports featured uh, category, but it's it's much bigger. It's it's about much bigger life issues as as you. I'm glad you that was your takeaway, and hope hopefully a lot of other people as well. And uh, that was doing that movie was a real education for me. I, I met a lot of incredible people, but I also. Uh, it just opened up in directions that I wasn't really expecting. And that was a, that's a wonderful thing. So tell me about, okay. So I, I previously did some like uh, dance films, like ballet films. So what brought you to making this film about roaring? Well, I uh, once tried uh, sculling uh, a long time ago uh, in not very good circumstances in Penobscot Bay, Maine. And then uh, about four years ago, my niece, uh, who rose for the Cambridge Boat Club and also uh, was helped running this major festival in Boston called the Head of the Charles Regatta. And this race is like the Super Bowl times 10 for, for rowing. Teams come from all over the world, and we got invited. We had great seats right where all the excitement was going on. But if you walked along the uh, the Charles River, where they have this in Boston, there were literally miles and miles of teams from all over the world. Some of them were high school students. Some were Olympic teams. Some of them were um, Olympic teams from, like, alumni Olympic teams from 20 years ago. And it just kind of blew my mind. It was so, I always thought it was interesting. And uh, when I got to see it up close, uh, I was intrigued by the unity of the team that was in that boat. And then I, and then I started looking into what was going on rowing in my hometown here where I live now, Louisville, Kentucky. And I had no, uh, you know, like most the doc films, it, it's all a, um, uh, act of faith you don't really you, know, you have an idea there may be something there and I started meeting really interesting people and their stories are really interesting and you know stage three of that filmmaking process is I realized I think I might have a film here and uh, and I did and that was really exciting and it was uh, an honor to meet uh, so many different people and learn about how how devoted you have to be to becoming part of the group rather than acting uh, on your own. It didn't matter how good you were, if you were a star or anything, it, it didn't matter. You just have to you have to work as a group and become part of eight other people in a coxswain. And that, that was fascinating to me. Yeah, it, it is kind of amazing. The unison, like obviously in the, I guess there's like different levels, like there's, there's single, there's two, four, eight, like I'm just thinking from the Olympic level. And yeah, there's, there, you have to be in unison with everybody because it's like one person's off, right? The, the boat can steer in that, in the opposite direction, it steer left or right. So it's like, it's just like, in terms of like the teamwork, it's like a great like metaphor for like, for team, for like, even when you're building anything, even making a movie, right? Like you have to, 
you, you have to, everybody's got to be on the same page with the cinematographer, director, you know, sound person, and, and editing. You know what I mean? Like everything's everybody has to be in in sync with each other. I guess right. That's right, in sync and supportive uh, of each other. And uh, that was, you probably remember in the early movie, I put it in early just to sort of uh, make the point about this teamwork, the story of the ham sandwich, yeah. that, that just to put some egomaniac down in one of the one of the rowers thinking that just because they were strong and everyone, they were more important. And they the story is they removed him and replaced him in one of the votes with a ham sandwich. So they voted with rode with seven people on a ham sandwich and they beat this boat with uh, eight people in this kind of jerk rower that just wasn't trying to to match and blend in yeah. and row row with all the other people. And I I this all came home to me. I was in the middle of editing this film and uh, I got invited to go out in one of one afternoon in one of their sweep boats and sweep boats are the boats that each rower has only one oar and you have four on each side and a coxswain and i thought well isn't that nice they're just going to take me out for a little go around in a circle let me see what it feels like oh yeah. no <laughs> this it was a real training session and they we rode up in the ohio river against the current for over two miles and then turn around come back and i literally thought I think I'm going to die today. It is so yeah. hard. And it that helped me in my editing process appreciate what they what they were talking about. You have to, you know, the precision of it and the synchronicity. Yeah. And the the gurgle thing when that moment when everyone just hits it, like you and you feel that in a film crew sometimes too. And some days you go, you know, wow, we nailed that. But uh that was an amazing experience. I mean, I was so exhausted after that. I literally couldn't get out of the boat. I had to roll myself out of the boat and just lie on the dock for a couple of minutes before I could stand up. And there's something interesting about that, that dynamic where if you're just doing it by yourself, you probably would just stopped and give up because you're tired. But because you're with others and, they, and they're depending on you, you're kind of like forced or kind of like you find your, your inner self to, to keep going, I guess, right? That's exactly right. There's the the response of, when you get in the boat, and for those who have not ever been in one, it's it seems insane. The boats are 62 feet long and two feet wide. I remember sitting down and going, what the hell am I doing? You know, because any movement by anybody makes the shifts the weight of the boat. You can go left or right, or and it, it was it just came down on me like a ton of bricks of how impressive it was when you see a really good team just cruising along. And it's just like one, one organism functioning. So tell, tell people or tell myself why it's called gurgle uh, pulling water. Why is it oh, called yes. gurgle? <laughs> yeah. <this> gurgle. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Uh, a lot of people said, why did you name it that? And gurgle is uh is the sound that happens very rarely for even experienced rowers. Actually, John Hale in our movie talks about this. He's rowed all his life uh, and he's only heard this sound maybe three times in his life. And the sound comes when um, after a long session, usually a practice session in the morning or, or the evening, they uh, um, everyone is tired enough to just fall into perfect sync for just a short while and 
when that happens, the boat starts hydroplaning and there's a gurgle of water that goes down along the 62 feet of the boat under the keel. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it, I'm told it's so sacred a moment that you don't even talk about it. No one acknowledges that it's happening because it's kind of a sacred moment until you get back to the the boathouse. So that's where the that that was such an amazing term. It sounds like a very banal term, but it actually is a very profound happening in the world of rowing. And some people go their whole lives and never experience it. So so okay, so that's that. So that that's sort of like that. It's like it's almost like kind of like the perfect kind of the perfect row, I guess, right? Like it's like you're it's what you strive to to achieve, <laughs> I guess, right? That's right. As John Hale says, for that moment, everything in your life and everything in the universe is in tune. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and then he goes on and say, and of course we're all human, and that doesn't last for very long. No. But, uh, it's a very special moment. And uh uh so I, it just seemed like a, an appropriate way to uh, title for there must there's there's a lot of uh um analogies to uh, to rowing and jazz i guess right where like and i guess there, there must be a jazz equivalent when they're everybody when they're just riffing and then all of a sudden there's this there's this magical moment i guess right it's the same kind of metaphor with with rowing i guess right they're all trying to uh play the same tune that's yeah. for sure and uh I mean, you can have different styles, but it still has, you still have to apply that to the tune, the overall tune that everyone's trying to play. Yeah. And then just like when you're listening to a great jam session, sometimes you go, wow, they just hit that. This yeah, exactly. Moments where you just couldn't imagine it being any better. They all become one thing. Okay, so tell me, okay, so you said you okay, you were, you got you got this back experience. And you're like, okay, this could be a movie. So what's the next step for you? Do you like write a, like an outline script? Do you like do you do so? Obviously, you do some um, some investigating work. But what's the step for, steps for you to like make this film? For for me, it's to can, uh, trying to uh, after asking around and talking within the community, identifying who are some of the key players might be, and doing full length interview with them. And trying, and then out of that, okay, all kinds of directions of well, oh well, I I need to cover this subject, I need to cover that subject, and in this film there are fifteen chapters, uh, in it, and uh, I so I really let the stories lead the way for me because uh, I didn't I knew what the general subject was, but you never know until you see, oh, this person is a great storyteller and has a great story to tell. And other people, not, not so much. But uh, I was lucky. I mean, the age span of this movie goes from 16 years old to 88. Yeah. It's a little feature section of an 88-year-old who's you know, his father never, <laughs> never went to watch a race. And you could see it still is a sore subject with with the son 88 years later you know his, he asked his father why why did you never come to a race and he said he paused and his father told him i just don't didn't like boats what's the so, answer okay so you 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 say you started interviewing people like you what do you tell them uh like so tori uh mcclure i guess she's the first woman to row right like she's a great interview right like she's fantastic you got a good backdrop nice nice camera 
set up too. It's perfectly set up uh, to tell the story. So you just in, you just interviewed her, but what are you saying to her? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about making oh, a documentary. I did a lot of research. Uh, uh, she had written a book uh, uh, about her whole experience rowing across the Atlantic um, in the American Pearl. Yeah. So I think it's how I found my heart in in uh, uh, on in the Atlantic Ocean. And so I did a lot of homework and she picked up on that right away because she's obviously been interviewed many, many, many times for for this yeah. adventure that she did. Uh, um, and she really, and this is something I would recommend to any filmmaker, do your homework ahead of time and come in with, they don't have to be in chronological order, but a lot of questions that show detail that you've actually looked into this person's life beyond oh yeah you did something you're famous and you did something famous and we got into her education this is an amazing woman and i didn't know about this she she has a divinity degree from harvard she has a law degree from uh university of louisville and she's now the president of spalding university oh so she and, was in your was she living in louisville oh uh, she was living in louisville okay. i had no idea she okay. was this person was in town and uh, and part of the Louisville Rowing Club, and um, it it was amazing. But what really made that all work? So she was sitting, by the way, in front of the boat, actual boat that she rode across the Atlantic, the American Pearl, mm -hmm. and uh, but she picked up right away and then she just sparked up when she realized that I had actually done a little bit of homework and uh, and and. So I think we got I got just her a game completely, and uh, I mean she's an incredible. She's also, by the way, uh, the first woman to ski to the South Pole. Of course. <laughs> what so, are you? What? <laughs> so okay, so you just you just how long did you have have her for? How long did you interview for? That was about we had her for about an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. And her her energy and her enthusiasm for rowing really kind of sets up the tone of your film, right? It's yeah, I think she's the first person that shows up. Like you have the the good setup, the good montage of of the water. We can, we can get that in a second, but then she sets the tone of your film about like because her energy is like is contagious, I guess, right? So so yeah, did you like did you do you have any like um, in your interviewing skills? Like how did you kind of like was she just naturally enthusiastic or did it take a while to get there when you were talking? Well, she after, well, it probably took two or three questions to get going. And I had, you know, I had sort of set it up. I tried to set it up. So I have some sort of easy softball generic questions. And then I, we got into read real detail. I, I mean, I have another great 45 minutes that didn't make it into the film that it, you know, you've been there. It breaks your heart when you realize, God, this is so good, but the movie yeah. can't go on forever. Exactly. And then you got John Hale, uh, another Ivy leaguer, I guess, and author, professor. So where did you find John? John is also here in Louisville. He's a very uh, famous archeologist. Yeah. Uh, and uh, who's actually done archaeological digs, I don't think that's the word, under in the Mediterranean and has dug up these big trireme boats that had 200 rowers on them. And and by the way, he and he was also a rower for uh, uh, for many, many years and uh, and very popular professor. And uh, I didn't know this either. He also is the one who had done the uh, the 
um, I don't know what it is, great, great performances or master classes. He's the one that on the internet that did the public speaking one for Okay, the, gotcha. Uh, he's, so, he's a master class professor. He he loves he loves he just loves to talk and he's yeah. very articulate. And uh um again, I had another probably hour of stuff sure. <laughs> from him. You have a sequel to the film then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Possibly. He was also in Louisville as well. He was like, so this is all, you found all these people locally, I guess. I know. And I, I did not expect that. The, the one person that is in the film that I never got on camera was Oksana Masters. And the, who is a, uh, learned rowing here was actually born in ukraine and uh live near chernobyl and and when she was born her, she was born after chernobyl and she had terrible uh, pro physical problems and her parents just dumped her in a, in a foster home and she was adopted by someone who teaches at again the university of buffalo uh gay masters and uh uh, and then because the best doctors who could deal with these various conditions that Oksana had were in Louisville. So she moved to Louisville, became a faculty member at the University of Louisville, and she started rowing when she was a, a very young girl and uh, quickly became uh, a gold medalist at the Paralympics. Uh, but that was just the start of her and world winning world champions. That was just the start of her um her athletic career she she then switched to because of i can't remember what the some issue that wasn't good for rowing she got into biathlon um skiing uh and shooting and uh and distance uh skiing in the winter olympics and then she also does the summer olympics she became a cyclist a hand cyclist and one has won like four gold medals in that as well and she's because she does both the winter and summer olympics she uh we never could connect she was always somewhere else in the world she's always training right she was always training and yeah. she always somewhere else in the world and i was thrilled just just this past summer on espn they played uh that you know they have that annual sports award program sps and, and there, the SBs, and there was there was Oksana on stage, not for the Paralympics. She was one of the nominees for best Olympic athlete. Yeah, <laughs> last Olympics with all these other famous people, which was amazing. Uh, so there's another story I didn't know it was there, but her coach it does appear in the film. The guy who started her out and got her through her first couple world championships, and. Uh, it wasn't for not trying that we couldn't do it, but she was just, I mean, you can imagine her schedule if she's doing two different yeah, seasons. That's crazy. Like that's someone who's, who's a lad, that elite of an athlete that is able to do like to can be at the, at the one, the top one, one of the one, one of the one like top athletes in two different sports, which is unbelievable. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like it does, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen, right? Like it doesn't, it's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be that gifted, right? So, and oh. obviously there's a lot of work involved. I'm not saying it's just gifts. Yeah. Well, she's now the most decorated Paralympian in, in the world. Yeah. Okay. So then, then you had, then one, like this will, uh, one last person, uh, Peter Salerno, who is very entertaining. He was, he's 88 years old at the time of the interview and he was still roaring. So it was, he was an important guy because you were showing kind of like the generations and how 
it's one of those sports where like, or one of those activities that you can keep doing for, for forever, I guess. Right. Like you're not, you're not going to like, you it's, it's good on the knees. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a good sport for the rest of your life, I guess. Right. Absolutely. And he, he was there for a couple reasons that, and the other reason was that, uh, he came from a very poor background. As he mentions in the movie, his father was an Italian immigrant. Didn't He got no support from his parents and they didn't have much money, but he was, it turned out he, he had the opportunity to try and he was very good and won a lot of races. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, his father never came to a race, even though he was winning a lot of races and things. But he's quite a character. When someone said, you know, if you talk with Peter Salerno, I said, well, not yet. And they said, well, he drives around town on a Vespa and he's still rowing at 88 years old. And, you know, as, as a filmmaker, we go, oh, yeah, I want to interview this person. And that's why they're in the movie. He arrives in his little chapter uh, on a, a Vespa pulling right up to the lens of the camera, because yeah. that, that, was, that was why it wasn't kind of gratuitous or just an extra. That's the way he travels. So you so you so you like I said, the game plan was you interviewed all these subjects and then. He did some, then did you go in the editing and then you kind of figured out, okay, so then you kind of figured out the story through the interviews and then you got it, then you did the, then you did some other footage of the roaring itself afterwards. Right. I, yes, I, I didn't really start editing right away, but I started taking, listening very carefully, taking notes and coming Finding out. Finding the story, with, I guess. Right. Finding yeah. the story with a, with a game plan and then going back. Yeah. And making sure I had B-roll, you know, backup to to help show this visually of what we were talking about. And another big discovery for me was this adaptive rowing program in, in Louisville. I had no idea that this Louisville is uh, the rowing club in Louisville was one of the uh, is one of the best adaptive rowing programs. They get people out on the water that who get out of their chairs and have this freedom to go rowing around. And now they they've added to have for people who are blind rowing out in the river it's really quite a, and it's yeah. all volunteer run so that and so there's a, a a really interesting part about some different people speaking up about what that meant to them and uh uh you know their experience being given this opportunity to get out of the water and mostly get out of their wheelchairs yeah and then, so then, and then, then talk about talk about the the B roll footage or the the footage on the on the on the waters. How did you like nicely nicely photograph films? Like really, like you came, you kind of made water like kind of a part of the characters in the film. How did you kind of like find? How did you capture that, that footage? And who was your who was your quote unquote cinematographer for that footage? Well, that was me, <laughs> um, uh, and I. I just love the shape. I had done a project a few years back with uh, uh, the visual artist, Julius Friedman, a really famous visual artist. And we had spent four months just shooting water. So I got very attracted to the designs and the vagaries and all the different shapes. And so I knew when I went into this movie as bumpers or just transition things to just try to give people a feel of what it was like moving on the water and sometimes i shot from the coach's boat that was following a boat and sometimes i was in uh actually i shot some in one of the boats one time when i was uh when i was rowing uh, although that i i actually 
just for my own record, wore a uh, a GoPro uh, uh, on my head for my rowing experience. And it's so painful to look at. I, I can't even look at it because you can hear how hard it was for me. Uh, I think I did use one or two sh quick shots from that. You know, it wasn't really meant to be used for that, but there were a couple ones that sort of helped move, move the yeah. story along. So you wanted Sean, Sean Hennessy, uh, one of your collaborators, you, you wanted him on the, you, he was supposed to be on the podcast today, but it didn't work out. So tell me about your relationship with working with Sean to, to finish your film. Sean Hennessy, who did the score for this, is uh, uh, an interesting character. I first met him when I was working at Northwestern University in Chicago, and uh, uh, I was director of the concert, concert series and uh, also uh, involved in the Davy uh, Distance Learning Initiative, which meant I direct a lot of live shows. Well, Sean was a in the trumpet studio there, a very famous trumpet studio that has currently players from that studio in every major orchestra in the United States, just about. And uh, he he was he's a trumpet player, uh, uh, started at 10 years old and by 13 was soul, a soloist with the Colorado Symphony. He's from Colorado. And after Northwestern, he was interested in writing scores for films and TV. He went to the University of Southern California, that great program at University of Southern California. Mm -hmm for TV and film writing. And uh, I didn't see him for 10 years. And when I edited this film, I edited it actually to a lot of different kinds of music. That, and I thought, no, well, that, that works, that's pretty good. And then I thought, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to just see, have an original score. And I tracked uh, Sean down who had moved back to Colorado Springs and uh, and he agreed to do the score. and. For, for three weeks, he would do right for one chapter each time. It was like Christmas morning. I'd get up, and <laughs> check my email, and there would be a link to uh, uh, to another segment. And we worked very well because he, he kind of knew what feel I was trying to get from music underneath each chapter from yeah. what the music I had, and then completely... Um, uh, created original things to go in there. And uh, he's also a very accomplished, he studied with Wynton Marcellus. He's a, also plays jazz, my kind of musician who's into all different kinds of music. And uh, uh, I highly would recommend him if you can get on his schedule, if you're looking for a good film composer, yeah. very flexible. We, we would, you know, if I ever felt that something was just a little off or could be a little bit different, uh, it was very easy to to work with him, and uh, and I think the music does bring up the stories. You know, the 100%. stories were strong, but I think it helps. Hundred percent. So we, yeah, it's a it's a really nicely put together uh, film, and it's like a nice score. So tell us about. So in our festival, we send the feedback people to you. We send the audience to you. What did you think about the feedback video that we sent you? Um. It was very interesting. I I, I was uh, impressed that I could tell they all really did watch watch the movie, uh, and, and uh, uh, which you know you can't take for granted. And they they had some really good comments. You know, I uh, they, you know, one one of the reviewers was said she related to Tori <laughs> to Tori Murden and the the kind of the way she carried herself. I mean, one of the interesting lines in there is Tori Murden 
said, uh, maybe this will sound controversial, but she said, COVID's been good for me. Uh, some days I don't even like people. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's just very forthright and uh, and she's an introvert. She yeah. uh, That's why she was so successful rowing across the Atlantic Ocean because she was she liked being by herself. Mm. COVID was good, like not to diminish what happened because nobody obviously wanted it to happen, but COVID, the, the silver lining of COVID was good for a lot of people, like in terms of artists and creators and things like that. It's just like it gave people a reset or gave people like a, like some, my life included, my life was crazy. I was like going to different cities every week and I had two young children and a marriage and you know what I mean? And it was just like, it, it forced me to sit down and do nothing. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which was good. Right. And because burnout was happening. So anyways, it was just like, yeah. So I think that people she can say that because I think people a lot of people are related to that, to what she said. Yeah. Well, I agree. I felt I felt the same way. It gives you time to slow down and think and, yeah. and imagined. Exactly. So, yeah, and a lot of from a creative standpoint, a lot of helped a lot of people. So the film's doing well, like the film's doing like uh, so it's going to all the festivals and winning awards for yourself is what's the next step for you? Are you looking for distrib distrib distribution uh, somewhere? I I am. I'm, I'm hoping through all these film festivals that I've and, and I'm really pleased with how well it's being received. Uh, especially happy for all the people in the, in the film that uh, there's so many good stories. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm waiting right now to see if uh, um, if PBS is going to pick it up, and if they do, I'll be able to probably sell some fun, some underwriting on the front and the tail end, and pay pay some bills, and if all goes well, make a donation to the to the boat club, which I really want to support what they're doing there. Well, look at you. I, I was just gonna, I was gonna say that it's gonna help you make your uh, get get funding for your next film. But yeah, that's even better. You're gonna basically, so you're that's that's very selfless of you that, to to do that. So yeah, it's like I said, I like this film. It's it's really nicely put together. You got some golden interviewers. I like how you structured it. You said you went out, did the interviews, and then you kind of found found the story within their within their stories, I guess, too, right? That, that's correct. And then when it, I felt it got to dialogue, you know, that people needed to rest from dialogue, I throw those three different intermezzi, I call them, and just to sort of give some, just for visual relief from, from you know, like the first one occurs after, uh, um, no, no, the second one occurs after John Hill gives a history lesson of rowing going back you know, thousands of years. Uh, and, and so they were strategically placed just to give some visual candy to people to look at um, yeah. in between all these stories. And it sounds like besides Sean, it sounds like a one man show. Like this is this is your film in many regards. I did. I had a, I had a wonderful drone camera person that came in and helped me that uh, just an all star guy that lives in the area. And uh, my son helped on on a few of the scenes, but mostly it was, uh, uh, you know, that it's tiring, but uh, it's also fun. In a way, it gets me into it, because I was, we, we did use two cameras when we interviewed Tori Murden, but, and I was running one of them, but uh, I didn't find it that distracting because the, because the stories were so good. But uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping in the next movie, I'll have a little more funding so I can, expand out the crew a little bit more and sort of separate myself a little bit so I can 
Gotcha. Actually, what's going on rather than capturing it. Well, I wish you the best. Congratulations on this film. I'm, I'm sure you'll get a distribution of some kind, hopefully PBS. And let's talk again when you make your next film. All right. Thanks very much. It's It's been great. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Schlemiel, Schlemazel, Hassenbeck Incorporated.